0: Welcome to Reboot for Connection, the podcast dedicated to understanding connection at work. This is where we talk to leaders, communications professionals, and other subject matter experts about how organizations are now intentional about designing for connection in the workplace. Real connection to people, mission, and the work itself. We explore what can be achieved when this is approached as a strategic initiative. My name is Jurgen Abo and this podcast is brought to you by ScreenCloud. Now, let's get into the good stuff. Sometimes you meet people who are just interesting, and this guest certainly falls in that category. I consider her a legendary entrepreneur, and that's even without knowing her all that well, but I'm excited to get to know her a lot better in today's session here. So with that, I just really wanna say thank you Uh, Catherine, for joining us.
1: Uh, Thank you for having me. I'm remembering how we kind of met on LinkedIn, then you reached out to me, and we didn't know each other that well, and you asked me to speak with you. And part of what we're going to talk about today is my connections, but then my disappearance, and then my reconnections. And so the part of the reconnection piece is like me doubting myself, like, what, do I really have anything interesting to say? I've done all these things in the past, but what about right now? So let me take a step back. My name is Catherine. I grew up on Long Island. I went to a fabulous college in Massachusetts and I have a varied background. I worked on Wall Street. I worked in sports and I worked in nonprofits and a whole bunch of other things. And the through line is that I like to build things or fix things that are broken. I prefer to build things, but I can fix things that are broken. And I have been in Vermont now for a while and I'm reconnecting with the world and that's what we're going to explore today.
0: Yeah, it's so awesome, you know, because you have some very, very interesting things on your resume. We won't get into too many of them, but there is one in particular that I think is worth talking about, and that is the the role that you played in getting the WNBA um, actually launched off the ground, what you did at <laughs> Madison Square Garden. Um, can we Can we go back to that very, very unique and special time and and have you tell us some stories around that, please?
1: So I initially worked on Wall Street, but I wasn't rushing to buy Barron's every morning. It was very exciting. Obviously, if I just wanted to make money, I would have stayed on Wall Street. So I went out to Oregon for a summer, worked at Mount Hood, snowboard, and I literally was driving across the country My parents clipped out an article that said a new women's basketball league was starting. And I clipped out the article and I had it on my dashboard. I was driving through the winter from Oregon back to New York. And I thought, wow, there's this really cool thing happening. And I really am passionate about women's sports. But I don't have any professional sports experience. And it's at Madison Square Garden. And it's starting in a couple of months. But I thought, you know what? I'm just going to do it. I'm going to throw my hat in the ring. So I applied for the job that was the Inaugural Head of Marketing, Marketing and Sales. And the GM and the President was an Olympian, a Hall of Famer, like a legend, especially in the New York City area. She scored the most points in a collegiate game on the garden floor. And so it was very intimidating. Um, And I had a bunch of interviews. And there were hundreds of people in New York. And beyond, who were had professionals' first experience. They worked in baseball, they worked in football, they worked in other places. They knew what actually had to happen. I was blessed enough to have an amazing person who believed in me, Pam Harris. I adore her. We're still connected, and she just saw the potential in me, as opposed to the nitty-gritty details. I would need to immediately get the job done. So I was blessed enough to get the job in March, and in March we had a logo and two players that was it and we had our very first game in june at madison square garden so the new york space is obviously so much is happening it's so hard to compete to get attention in the media and, and as an event and on top of that we had to get i wasn't involved with in the basketball side but we actually had to get players because you can't play with two players and we had to figure out every aspect of what was going to happen certainly the WNBA could lean on the NBA model, like what do ticket sales look like? What does sponsorship look like? What does event presentation look like? However, it's a totally different demographic. So what works at those more masculine uh, environments were not necessarily going to work at the garden. So we had to figure out who are even gonna come to the game. We had some research, how are we gonna get them there? How are we going to allocate? There was so much to do in three months. And as the point person working with this legendary you know Hall of Fame woman we've got a lot done, we had to navigate all the nuances of Madison Square Garden, which is very entrenched and it's um, you know the Knicks and the Rangers and Radio City. I can't remember if they owned them at the time, but it's a lot already going on there. There's the you know over 300 events a year. So to find the space with the sponsorship people, with the ticket salespeople, with the creative service people, with the event presentation people, there's all these different departments that were used to having light schedules in the summer. And all of a sudden we're asking them to deliver a lot more work, work many more hours, and get no additional pay on top of their already pretty busy workloads. So it was um it was very intense and at the end of the day, and we can delve into more of those, how we did that in a second. But at the end of the day, in June, at our very first game, we had over 17,000 people there. So even though it was years ago, I still take so much pride in that so many people work together to figure out how to do that collectively. Uh, There's so many nuances, so many pieces to it, but we pulled it off as a team and we pulled it off together. And that is a a great moment that I will never forget.
0: So I imagine in a situation like that, there's a very tight game plan to pull that off right but at the same time there's all these you know connections that probably need to be made internally um you know connections with people and and connecting people to the cause and the purpose and all that stuff can you talk a little bit about that aspect of the experience
1: yes i feel looking back i'm going to speak about the tight time frame first on one hand we were working furiously but looking back despite all the learnings of the mba and the best practices we weren't working very efficiently i'm totally embarrassed to admit this but at one point early on we were literally sitting around a conference table with the people i mentioned stuffing envelopes to do direct mailing like we were we didn't hire a firm we were literally actually the ones stuffing the envelopes i just I just that just popped into my head that I cannot even believe we were doing that. Whew. Anyway, then we quickly learn uh, we can outsource this and have people do it. But getting back to the connection piece, um, uh, the women, the let me rewind that. The leader of our team, the president of our team, Carol Jowski, She really lived up to her nickname, the Blaze. She just wanted to get stuff done and get it done and let's do it and everyone better get on board. And so on top of the Aspects I mentioned before, competing with the summer schedules, with the the Knicks playoffs, it's the Ranger playoff, it's the summer hoopla, whatever's happening. On top of it, there was an arena football team that was about to be launched. And everyone was like, arena football, that's gonna be awesome. Women's basketball, Like, so it was also competing with a whole nother thing that was happening. And so what we did intentionally, innately, that's a question for another day, is that we thought about how our product and how our demographic could benefit these different groups. That's a little less compelling on the, the designer of the brochure, but on sticking on the revenue side right now, the sponsorship people, they had a very tight you know, male demographic between the Knicks and the Rangers. And so we looked at how can we open up their portfolio? How, how can we help them reach some of the primo chip uh, blue chip brands like L'Oreal. They're probably not already in with L'Oreal, but we had it in through the national deck. So how can we help them with their business, but also how can we make the personal connection? So maybe it's a dad and he has daughters and his daughters are going to be the ball girls at the game, or maybe it's a, a grandfather, or maybe it's a, a whatever the personal connection is that we could tie to what our core demographics were, we're basketball enthusiasts, who purists, Um, family members, dads and daughters, like support women, like maybe they never had a chance to play when they were growing up. So we had our core demographics and where we could find the thread on the personal side when any of these other departments we tried to look at how we can find the personal connection so the NBA players are obviously not just hanging around in the office every day but we were able to say hey our top two players let's come meet the ticket sales people. let's come to the actual sponsorship meeting let's come to the pitch meeting let's get you in the mix so they can feel your energy they can feel your passion they can believe in you as a person and then they can believe in the team so i looked at it as though these were our internal clients and how are we like you do in any sales role like how are you connecting what their whys and what their bottom line and what's important to them and how we can get them on board with our ride to launch the team.
0: Yeah and so what what did that all result in you know when when you said you know tons of people showed up to the first game it was a wild success paint that picture for us what did that look like?
1: I mean I will tell you I just reconnected with the gal we've lost touch a little bit uh we after the game ended we went back to her house and we, re- we again this is before like you could watch anything online i'm totally dating myself but we watched the news to just see like over and over and over again the clip of like the sold out arena the very first game the inaugural game like we just kept turning the channel and uh, watching the news and then taping it and watching it over again because it was so exciting that again so many people from different paths and different roles in the garden came together to create this amazing new thing that really captured a moment of, again, future aspirational role models for women and women who are supporting the next generation and paying it, uh, paying it forward to take that continuum of women um, rising up to have opportunities.
0: So from that experience and from others as well, you know, what do you think is the key to real connection at work
1: I think there's multiple levels of it for me there's the general ideas like how do different ideas connect and one of my clifton strengths top 5 is ideation so i really love seeing how different pieces that might not seem to fit can fit together so ideas products business synergies and then also a layer of that or maybe the overriding layer of that is the people so how are we recognizing all the unique Uh, learning styles and all the unique talents and skills and all the ways that we can maximize our team effort by honoring and appreciating each individual unique attribute and each individual like each whole person so that we're not all just robotically you know drumming away and perceiving that we're all exactly emoting in the same way this has certainly been a lifelong discovery I don't think in my 20s I was so you know self-aware and About Bob, maybe he's not up to the task today, or Sally, she seems like she's off peak. So I think it's a continued involvement of being much more aware and connected to the true full lives of other people with whom you're working.
0: Powerful. Um, What about the, I suppose, mission and Mm -hmm. impact and kind of purpose piece? How do you think about making sure that a team or Anybody really in an organization have that kind of connection as well?
1: I feel like I'm going to back into this a little bit from volunteer work. Counterintuitively, you think, oh, and everyone's going to donate their time to XYZ charity. They're all going to be super gung ho and just as equally committed, and everyone's going to do what they say they're going to do. Well, my sad experience, and I'm sure many others, is that that's not the case. And so some people, I think just are innately, like if they're committed to something, they're gonna do it, they're gonna do it 150%. And that's not everyone in every situation. Um, And so in volunteer work, I feel like it's a little bit got exasperating that I have these high expectations of everyone because they just weren't as gung ho or they weren't delivering. And I had to recognize and go back to that appreciation place. Well, they have a thousand other things going and they want to help, but they can only do it in a smaller way. So taking that same mentality and awareness to the business it's like, what's the thread? Like, what's the, what's the end goal? And how are we communicating that in a clear and emotional way? Like, I know businesses, facts and figures, and I'm definitely all about the analytics, but it's also about the emotion. It's like, how are we driving our human condition? And not every job is going to be like, whoa, I'm changing the world. But I feel pretty strongly that you have to believe in what you're doing to be expending energy, like to be using your brain power and your innate talents and your yourself you need to believe in what you're doing and hopefully you're surrounding yourself with like-minded people. And obviously you'll be in situations in any work environment where some people maybe aren't as quite a gung-ho and maybe some people are on their way out the door. But I think really trying to find that that commonality of the end result and the impact and not the bigger impact like, oh, we sold 50 units. It's the bigger impact. What does that really mean? what is the real true impact that you're having on your customers and your people and like the lives of and people of your customers that you're impacting. So that's maybe a little philosophical, but that's how I look at it.
0: Yeah. So when you're leading a team, then are you looking to find people who are immediately passionate about that impact or are you working to instill that mm. passion about the impact or is it 50 50 or how, how does that balance mm. out?
1: Uh if I've inherited a team and people are very dispassionate because I'm in one of those, I'm gonna fix something. I've been in situations where I had to fix something and I knew I had to fix it. That at least is I'm self-aware. <laughs> I've also been in situations where something was broken, but I didn't do very good discovery questions, so I didn't know it was broken. So you walk into a situation and you're with a team and they are all demoralized, they're all beaten down, they're all just in a terrible place. And that to me is getting to the root of it, not just band-aids, like, hey, let's go, let's rah-rah, let's fix whatever it is. It's really drilling down into the the core issues of what has caused this fracture of trust and the fracture of the sentiment and the fracture of morale. Um, If I'm hiring a team, you know, from, from the start, ideally, I'm finding people that maybe aren't extroverts and cheerleaders and jumping for joy but that emotionally and intellectually are very committed to what the outcomes are and have that whatever level however you resonate with the passion again we don't all have to be like with pom-poms I think there's different ways that it manifests itself and ideally you're getting people that you're hiring to a new team to embody and enhance the energy, and the outcomes for the
0: team. Mm. Thank you for that. That's powerful. So after a pretty legendary run, I would say, and I know you're, you're too <laughs> humble to use those words yourself, um, you, you took a step back, right? And you enjoyed mm-hmm. Vermont for a while. Um, you've been enjoying some family. And um, and you're reconnecting, right? You're back, back in mm-hmm. the and that obviously, you know, doesn't come without certain challenges and it probably mm-hmm. comes with, you know, certain, you know, thoughts and self-talk and all that stuff. Um, can you just tell us a little bit about the experience? Um, what what happened when you pulled yourself out and what mm-hmm. happened when you started reconnecting again? Um, hint, hint, there might be yeah. some hint, hint talk here.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, so I decided and made a choice to be underemployed, for lack of a better word. I still did freelancing, but not at my full brain capacity and not at my full output capacity because I could take them to gymnastics and I could take them to the doctor and I could hang out with them. And I made that choice. And I think maybe some inertia crept in where you're like, I'm now, like I've forgotten the fast track and I'm letting myself just subsist here. Um, again, with the love of the family, but I'm talking about my brain and the career, which is what we're discussing here. And so I realized I was doing a lot of volunteer work. And my greatest achievement in the last few years is that I got my 92-year-old role model. She literally just retired as the president of the Friends of the Library. And now I'm the first president of the Friends of the Library. And she drives around and she goes to meetings and she sort books. I got her to use Google documents like that is like seriously one of my greatest achievements in the last few years. And so what I'm about to say isn't an age thing, it's a curiosity and learning thing. So with the volunteering, I was finding people my age who literally could not grasp Google documents or Google, the Google Drive. And I made videos, I made tutorials. I thought, I cannot handle having to explain this one more time. And so I don't mean that to sound arrogant. I just felt like it's a curiosity thing, right? The 92 year old amazing smart woman is learning it and doing it. She's keeping herself up with the times. And so I felt like my brain was rotting. It went from stagnant to like, actually felt like it was rotting because I was just like Sisyphus, like banging my head against the wall. I know I'm mixing metaphors, but um, so I thought, I better do something lickety split here because this is not a path I want to continue down. And so I thought, well, I'll just apply for some local jobs. Again, my world had become small. I knew the world was connected. I certainly worked with clients that didn't live in Vermont when I was freelancing, but I was, an underemployed doing projects here and there. And so I applied for some jobs and I recognized that I wasn't going to come in at the level I was. But there were like coordinator jobs that I didn't even get. interview for and I also appreciate that because I had so much experience it was too much experience was it not enough experience where do you put it and I also realized that I have pretty much learning is my thing so like I never took a finance class and I worked on Wall Street I never worked in sports which we just discussed and then I'm helping to launch this gigantic one of the biggest initiatives in the last 25 years and so the idea that I have to walk in with these 15 Thousands hyper specific skills, and unless I did it last week, I'm I'm chicken scratch. I'm nothing. Is certainly very demoralizing when I still have a brain. I'm still really smart. I I can figure things out really quickly. And I think there are a lot of principles like since the beginning of time, since Greek philosophy, right? There's there are things that change, and there are tools that change, and there are delivery mechanisms that change. But there's some core tenets of the human condition and business and interactions that are are pretty standard that haven't changed it's just the way the, the nuances of them to me that changed so it was very frustrating and demoralizing and I tried not to let it beat me down uh, I can't say every day I felt not beaten down but it felt like I had to earn my way back and I'm happy to earn my way back I just want to recognize though that there's this massive divide of women who are turning from taking time with their kids or people who have to take care of their elder parents or whatever the case may be, I feel like we could, in the world, in the US, whatever, can do a much better job of recognizing people that have not taken such a linear path and had slight detours that are still quite capable and have brains and have skills and have transferable skills, which to me at the end of the day is the most important thing, the transferable skills Versus the hyper-specific, I know how to do this one, 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 tiny little thing really, really well. I'd take the person with the curiosity and the transferable skills any day of the week. So, yeah, it was definitely uh, a rough road. Uh, but then LinkedIn made my life much better.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's really a beautiful thing what that LinkedIn community has become. Um, I guess a question to potentially end on then is... Mm-hmm. What do you see in the near future as you are continuing to reconnect, right? As you're continuing to have <laughs> conversations, as you're continuing to look inside and see what it is that you really want to do. Um, you know, pretty crappy year overall. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. What's, your, what's your outlook on next year?
1: Uh, There's one more quick thing I want to say on the, if you don't, if you're not coming at something with a title, one thing I have experienced the last six months is if you don't have a business email, you can't go to that webinar because you're not good enough or you got to put your title in something. So like, if you don't have a title, you're chicken shit because you don't have a title, right? Because I'm like, I get the whole like market. Obviously I got the whole ideal customer profile. Hello. I totally got that. Um, But why I, it just feels every time like if you don't have the work email, which, yes, obviously I need to get a, a personal work email. But if you don't have those things and you put, you're put, like, I feel like I, I love data and I understand why we need to put people in boxes. But I also resent the fact that we have to put people in such tiny little boxes and everything has to be categorized. And if like the an event I did last week, like I don't have a big fancy title anymore. So it was like, I wasn't good enough to even be on the event invite because I do not have a big fancy title. So why does that matter? Like, why does it matter what I'm doing right this second? Why does that have to equal my self-worth? So that's my soapbox. I don't know, <laughs> I'm not saying we're gonna end on that. But the future though, I, maybe I'm resisting more strongly the idea that I have to fit in a little box, so I'm exploring getting back more into freelancing and or going to work for a startup, early stage startup, that is more open-minded about the various skills and things that I can do and that I'd want to do and where I can add value, but I definitely am not going to work at a really big company with hyper-specific, you can only do this one little thing, role, and for me, the next phase of this bubbling, exploding brain is to be much more intentional, to take a step back and be like, why am I on LinkedIn? Why am I in all these you know, micro communities? What are my intentions and my priorities for my own life and how I'm supporting and connecting with others? And how can I be much more efficient about it? Not in a cold, heartless way, but a, that I can spend the energy in a more meaningful ways in ways that really matter.
0: That's fantastic. Um, I have no doubts about you um, doing some really, really great things in the future, just like you've done in the past. And I think that in the end, you'll have the last laugh. Um, I think that's (laughs) how it it goes. Um, And in the meantime, I just really want to say thank you for having shared so openly and so authentically, you know, about where you are and what you've been up to. Uh, it's a great story of of reconnecting. And so thank you so much for, uh, for sharing that with us.
1: Yeah, thank you so much. I'm so glad. And I don't know if this is part of the story, but you reach out to me. I'm like, why do you want to reach out to me? And my Clifton Strengths doesn't say I'm a connector. That's not even in my top five. But the more I thought about it, I thought, okay, well, maybe it's not my top five on some technical assessment, but I appreciated what you were saying. And I truly, from my heart, appreciate that you reached out to me and you encouraged me and you nudged me to be open to the idea of even talking to you because initially i'm like what um so i appreciate that and that feels um great and i've enjoyed personally getting to know you as well
0: oh that's great that's great thank you thank you so much for listening it's my sincere hope you found something you can apply towards greater connection in your work life if so an honest review would certainly be welcomed reboot for connection is brought to you by screencloud You can find us wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts, and we'd be honored if you subscribe to this one. You may also email us at reboot at screencloud.com with any reactions or ideas you might have for us. Hope to catch you again next time.